This is Positive Parenting. Parenting expertise and advice from best-selling parenting author and national newspaper columnist, Mr. Dad, Armin Brott. Hello, welcome to Positive Parenting. I'm Armin Brott. Most people are driven to win, whether it's in competitive sports, political or artistic endeavors, academic prestige, or any number of pursuits that require talent and perseverance and persistence. The desire to win has driven humanity's most talented individuals to produce incredible achievements and to excel beyond even their highest expectations. However, this fixation on winning can also hurt our ability to succeed in the long run. Like a lot of parents, author and award-winning sports journalist Sam Weinman noticed how this obsessive need to win was preventing his sons from coping with inevitable losses in life, such as bombing a test or botching a tennis match. Wyman decided that his kids needed some important perspective. After all, no one likes a sore loser. Over his career and life, he'd seen how many of the greats in the worlds of sports or Hollywood or politics and business have weathered crushing defeats and survived to tell their tales. So he decided to write a book about how celebrated public figures are able to bounce back after epic losses. We're going to be talking with Sam Wyman about his new book and, more importantly, about what we can do to understand the importance of losing and how we can turn our losses into gains that will make our life even better than we thought it could be. It all starts right after this. More with Mr. Dad, Armin Brott, after this, from the MrDad.com radio network. every school bus and classroom. I go to school with your children. We say the Pledge of Allegiance together. You see me around the neighborhood and you tell me that I'm a pretty good kid. Well, I'm one out of every five children in America and I'm struggling with hunger. This problem is closer than you think. My teacher tells me we can grow up to be whatever we want. I want to grow up to be someone who doesn't go to bed hungry. There's enough food in this country to feed everybody. Please visit feedingamerica.org today and find your local food bank for ways to help. Every dollar you donate helps provide eight meals for kids like me, quietly struggling with hunger. Together, we are Feeding America. Brought to you by Feeding America and the Ad Council. Welcome back to Positive Parenting. I'm Armin Brott, and my guest for this part of today's show is Sam Weinman, who's the author of Win at Losing, How Our Biggest Setbacks Can Lead to Our Greatest Gains. Sam, thanks for joining us. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. You know, this is a topic that comes up with remarkable frequency on this show and in, in a lot of the other stuff I do about the importance of failure. Mm-hmm. And talk a little bit about how you happen to get into this. Well, in my, yeah, in my case, it was very much uh, a personal challenge. I got two boys, and they're both very competitive little athletes. Uh, and by competitive, I don't mean they're at a high level necessarily, but just very, very involved in outcomes. And um, often, you know, we're dejected by, by losing. And in my case, it was something that just became a recurring challenge. And I felt like I constantly was trying to impress upon them that this is actually a good thing, that losing 
is uh, is an opportunity to get better. It helps you, you know, address weaknesses that you might have. It's uh, it leaves you a little hungry, which you might not be if you're always winning. And that was a difficult sell for a long time, and so I kind of wanted to dig in deeper. Now, obviously, I, I saw an opportunity, um, you know, because it was such a recurring theme with kids and just in society in general that the need to learn how to lose is such a big, such a big challenge. It's such an important um, skill, I think. So I, I kind of went from there, and, and you know, my my way of diving in was by not just looking at kids, but also just, you know, every segment of society, sports, politics, business, all those things where it was something that ended up being good for people. Yeah, I, I should note that on the cover, the very top, is a, a blurb from Carol Dweck. And yes. people may not recognize the name, but I mean, we've talked about Carol on the show. I actually would like to get her on the show, but she's the one who did the studies about the, the f- fifth graders and math. And some of them were Correct. being told that you did a great job. Some were being told you, you uh, were smart, and some were being told that that uh, that they had worked hard and the difference that that does. And so you're, you're essentially talking about the same thing, that the, the value of hard work and the bumps that come along the road to whatever it is are more than made up for by the work that you're doing. Completely. I mean, I, I think Carol uh, Dweck's, you know, sort of studies and writings about this have been really influential in kind of help, helping people wrap their brain around what we should be emphasizing with our kids. And for our kids, it shouldn't be that you know, they're the best or that they have this great talent or skill, but it should be about the emphasis on that you can work hard and you can achieve better outcomes by constantly embracing challenge and applying yourself. Yeah. And uh, that's why she's a big believer that praise uh, or praising intelligence or talent is really counterproductive because then you become somewhat complacent in your belief that, well, it's just going to come easy to me because I have this natural ability. Right. Right. I think most people would agree that it, that there's some value to losing and that we all have lost and we've all overcome things. But I'm wondering, you, you came at this from the perspective of being a sports journalist. Mm-hmm. That seems to me, particularly on a professional level, where this almost doesn't apply. That, that There may be some value in losing or there may have been some value in losing when you were in high school or maybe college. But if you're a pro... There's no value in losing. I mean, you're going to lose endorsements. You're going to you're sure. going to not make as much money. I mean, that, that's that's like a whole different area. It seems. Would it, you... it is. I mean, I, I covered the National Hockey League for for a bunch of years before I moved to Golf Digest, and one of the things they used to say is we're in a results business, which was a way of saying that you know we could play the best games in the world, but if we don't win the game, it doesn't matter. But I do think that um, if you look at it through the prism of Losing helps you get better over the course of a season. You know, if you're a hockey team, for instance, and you lose a game in October, that is uh, instructive and beneficial for you. Uh, you know, the next night out and over the course of the season. So in that way, losing is hugely beneficial. Or even taking it a step further, if a team is a, has a losing season one year, those are the things that crystallize where they need to be better, and it ultimately helps them. Um, you know, address areas that they need to, to be better at. I mean, the great example is um, the NBA, the Chicago Bulls, in Michael Jordan's first three or four years in the league, they lost every year to the Detroit Pistons in the um, Eastern Conference Finals or in the playoffs. And it was, you know, there very instructive about what kind of team they needed to be. They saw in the Pistons things that were glaring, you know, glaringly missing from their games. And so it ended up being one of the main 
things that led them to being a, a dynasty because they saw where they needed to be better. So, of course, yes, losing you know on an individual basis is you know not what anyone in professional is in professional sports for. But even there, it has great value to people you know, over a over a longer period. So you began to take a look at people from all different walks of life. I mean, politicians. You got Michael Dukakis. You've got the a soap opera star Susan Lucci. Right. Well, actually, <laughs> it's sort of embarrassing. I remember when it, when I was in after grad school, I was struggling to find a job, and somehow managed to find myself in front of uh, all my children, <laughs> and and I just like it became somehow addicted to the whole thing, and which I had to tear myself away. But Susan Lucci, for those who don't know or probably do know <laughs> at this point, uh, was on All My Children, <laughs> like. Right. But she she was I don't know how many years it was twenty something years that she was nominated and never won. Correct. Did, she finally did win though, right? She For, did. Actually, it was eighteen years that she lost, and then the nineteenth year, she finally won. It was this great kind of breakthrough moment. So uh, you know, if if you're her, and and you asked her this, you know, it's like why would you even go to the awards dinner when sure. the odds are pretty much against you? Right. And I think, you know, in her case, it was an example of losing with class and showing respect for the competition that you've entered. You know, it's this whole idea that even when you lose and nothing good comes out of it, there's a way to be graceful about it. And she showed that in in a lot of ways. I think she endeared herself to a whole segment of fans who probably didn't know anything about soap operas, but just saw someone who was constantly losing and handling it with class. And I think there's something to be said for that. That's a another good lesson for our kids is sometimes there might not be any, you know, readily apparent lesson, but it's important to um, handle it gracefully. And she did that well. And so what lessons does she have for everyone else about this kind of, this kind yeah. of thing about, you know, there's certainly going to be the never give up, never give up, but what's deeper there for her? I think so. Well, I think that's a big part of it was, was like I said, it was, showing the persistence of putting yourself out there year after year. And, she, and you know, she was put in the Emmys, and she she um, just made didn't become disenchanted with this whole process of being nominated for the Emmys. She put herself out there every year. Uh, I do think that in her case, she actually did learn a few things about why she was losing. You know, she, you know it's a very um, small thing, but it can be applied to any walk of life, which was when she took a hard look at the, the clips that she was submitting – for, for uh, you know the nomination, she saw that she had a tick in her performances. Like she would look down a lot at the floor, and it was something that disrupted her connection with the audience and with other actors. And it was something she was able to address. She saw, okay, so that's why I'm losing. That's why that's what's holding me back. And she saw an opportunity to address that. So obviously, very few of us are going to be. Uh, acting in soap operas and nominating ourselves for daytime Emmys, but we can recognize things that are holding us back that we're not doing well, that um, when we lose, those things are brought to the fore and we're able to correct them. Well, you mentioned you, you're writing for Golf Digest, and one of the chapters is on Greg Norman, and, you, and you're talking about how he won fans by losing, essentially. So talk about that, what, what that was about. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's similar in a way to Susan Lucci in the sense that by a lot of measures, Greg Norman was exorbitantly successful. You know, he was a, still a number one player in the world and and um, won millions of dollars playing golf. And in that way, he's very inaccessible to a lot of people. However, he had this one tournament, the Masters, that he desperately wanted to win. It's arguably the most important tournament in golf. And had a number of uh, very 
close calls and lost. And then the, the most heartbreaking was 1996. He had a six-shot lead going into the final round, and people were pretty much assuming that it was a done deal, that he was definitely going to win. And he had this nightmare Sunday so, you know, final round where he played terribly and, and you know, played for four and a half hours on national TV where everyone's watching him sort of seeing his dreams, uh, you know, dashed right in front of everyone's eyes. And he handled it very gracefully and gave credit where it was due and owned up to the mistakes that he made that day and how he wasn't prepared to win. And in that moment, this guy who is very, um, you know, superstar became very human to people because it was something they could identify with um, in the same way that they can understand though that there's something that you desperately want that you don't get and you have to you have to you know own that moment and he did very much and talking with Sam Weinman who's the author of win at losing how our biggest setbacks can lead to our greatest gains we're going to take a quick break when we come back we'll keep talking about losing excuse me do you know how to get to Maine and Maple do you have these in a seven and a half? How's that cooked? Can I get that shipped overnight? Is there a direct flight? How long does the warranty last? What's your soup of the day? How do you change the ringtone? Does it come in blue? Does this bus stop at Elm Street? We ask questions everywhere in life. Is it raining out? Uh, what time's the meeting? How much does this cost? Does it have four-wheel drive? Have we met before? What's my account balance? Yet somehow, when we get to the doctor's office... Any questions? Um, no. We clam up. Ask questions. What is this test for? Are there any side effects? When do I get my results? Questions lead to better health care. Go to ahrq.gov for a list of 10 questions everyone should know. Questions are the answer. Public service announcement brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services and the Ad Council. All right, class. Let's hear what everyone did this weekend. Jill? Well, I raised my older sister to a big oak tree. It was at least a hundred years old. My mom said I must have set a record or something. And then we went down by a stream and perched up on this huge rock and saw all of these little minnows swimming around way below us. And then I rescued my little brother from an evil slug king who was guarding him at the bush fortress. And my sister and I brought him back to our super twig fort for safety. And then we all laid out and told stories until it got dark. And the Big Dipper led us all the way home. Where were you, Jill? Yeah. We went to the forest. It's not that far away. Anyone want to come this weekend? Ask your parents to take you and your friends to the forest this week and find the fun, adventurous you. It's closer than you think. Check out discovertheforest.org. Brought to you by the U.S. Forest Service and the Ad Council. Welcome back to Positive Parenting. I'm Armin Brott. If you're just joining us, talking with Sam Weinman, who's the author of Win at Losing, How Our Biggest Setbacks Can Lead to Our Greatest Gains. So saying to our kids, there's there's a benefit to losing and that everybody makes mistakes and that you learn lessons and it makes you better and pointing to some of these cases is one thing and it makes some intuitive sense and and it makes us feel that we're being good parents but still in the back of our minds many people in their jobs you you don't want to fail how how do we how do we learn to walk the walk and not just talk the talk on this thing it's an excellent point and i think it's important to understand, first of all, that this sort of knee-jerk disappointment you're going to have is inevitable. You know, even the most enlightened of us who lose are going to lose, um, and we're going to be disappointed by it. I think 
one of the things that we need to understand is that everything should be, you know, everything should be considered a process. That you know that you know these these momentary setbacks are are moments, and they they come and go, and there are opportunities to to learn from them and to see where we can be better. Um, and it also should sort of help fuel some some determination on our end. You know, when we have these moments of disappointment, hopefully those disappointments are what motivates us to work harder and um, apply ourselves further. I think, you know, one of the things I always say in the book is, you know, um, losing well is not about being immune to disappointment. It's just about channeling that disappointment into something positive, and that's the key. It's not – It's not. we're not trying to sugarcoat the, you know, the – the, the emotions here that we have when you lose, it's just finding a way to be constructive about it. Okay. And it's also finding a way to let your kids see you fail. Is that, is that sure. even a possible yeah, I think thing? It's a, yeah, it's completely. I think, you know, these are great opportunities to show your kids, look, this didn't go the way I wanted it to go, but I'm going to find something positive out of this that I can use and build on it. And it's about, you know, showing them that it, it's it happens to mom and dad that you know no one is immune from these these things and it's just a part of life and the better we can handle these moments the more we can show our kids that you know it, it's a it's a skill that you you always have you know you, you know you, you lose in in little league that you lose when you're you know when you're older and your business doesn't go as well as you want or whatever the whatever the episode is these are all moments that that are Going, you're going to confront on a frequent basis, you know, even for the luckiest of, of us. And so, being able to show that we are able to, whether in a again constructive way, uh, is far better than just you know blaming or deflecting or just being angry, which really doesn't get us anywhere. Right. I mean, just the anger or the depression or whatever, and withdrawing from the whole thing, doesn't sure. help because you got to get back in there anyway. That's exactly. That's just the way life is going to be. Yeah. So you, you talk about not only that there are benefits to losing, but that there may be some drawbacks to winning, and certainly not on a global level. And, uh, you know, we mentioned Carol Dweck. What sure. what do you mean? Give us a few more specifics yeah. about the kinds of things, that, the drawbacks to the, the winning part of things. Well, I think um, I alluded to this earlier, which is that when we are successful, we tend to not ask enough questions as to why. We just attribute it to good fortune or to our natural talent, our ability, and we're not paying attention to the work we put in that, that got us to that point. And there's a, there's a tendency to grow complacent. So the example I always use, I always bring everything back to sports, is that when teams are winning, they might be winning games, but there still might be some things that they could be better at. And they tend to, when things, when they're, when things are, when they're successful, they tend to gloss over those mistakes because they don't need to feel the need to deal with them. Um, so winning, you know, fosters this area of, or this air of superiority of, of, you know, we got it all figured out and that's really the worst possible attitude to have because, um, you know, again, this whole growth mindset, it should be that, um, we're looking to learn from every opportunity, even, even when we're successful, we can find things that we can be better at and we can uh, embrace the challenge of, of trying to be better at it. You know, it's interesting as you're saying that I was thinking of, uh, a friend of my parents, somebody that I grew up with, a very, very close friend of the family who was a professional musician on a very high level and or founded orchestras and was very, very involved, particularly in, in the classic music. And she mm -hmm. mentioned something to me at one point, which I, I always thought was, was fascinating, that she said 
that the worst thing that could ever happen to an orchestra or a theater company is to be sold out for every performance. That yeah. that what if they aren't selling out, they're going to do everything they can to be able to sell out. But if they sell at every performance, they can just get sloppy and think that we're great. We don't need to do anything. And it's exactly what you're saying. It's, uh, I mean, so the, the less why I'm saying this is that, that this applies way beyond sports. So that's a perfect example. I mean, uh, Dweck in her book um, says a very similar thing about a, uh, a chef who runs a, a restaurant that has, I don't know what the, I forget what the Michelin ratings are, but five stars is the best. It was a five-star restaurant, restaurant by the Michelin guide. And so it, the only thing that they had nowhere to go. There was no room for improvement. So there, like you said, there's a, there's a tendency to get sloppy when you're in those moments, whereas when you're four stars or four and a half stars, there's this great determination to improve upon that and get better. So how do you begin to implement this or put this to use in your own life? I mean, not everybody's going to go work for Google or Facebook where they have kind of failure labs where they just throw everything at the wall and hope something sticks. So, But most people are not going to have that that close interaction with repetitive failure. So how, how do you begin to put this into play? Well, I think for starters, um, the biggest thing is a sense of honesty, like in whatever the endeavor is. If it's your, if it's your business, it's a, it's a moment of uh, brutal honesty with the work you're putting in and whether you are doing, uh, you know, working as hard as you can. And if there are shortcomings in whatever it is you're doing, um, being completely being completely clear-eyed about that and seeing where you can be better. So that's that's the first thing. It's just having a having a having an appreciation for um, the 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 opportunity to be to be better. And um, you know, because there's no one who can look at themselves and say I'm, I'm perfect. I, there's, you know, I can't I can't get any better. So that's the first thing. And again, it's I think what I said earlier is like there's a million little what we call micro failures that we deal with, um, you know, day to day or week to week. And it's taking those moments and trying to find an opportunity to learn from them and, and apply it to the next time out. So those are, those are the biggest things. And, um, you know, I, I, as I, as I mentioned earlier, I think uh, a huge part of it is, you know, when we're talking about with our kids is, is really just being faithful to that message of these, you know, these little setbacks are, are ultimately going to be good for us and, and, and helpful. And so being positive about it as opposed to being dejected or demoralized or, um, you know, cynical about things going wrong, you should instead embrace it as an opportunity. So of all the stories in the book, what was your most inspiring or your favorite one here? You know, I've gotten that question a few times, and I, I, it's hard for me to say so, and I, I know that's an evasive answer. There's a bunch. I, the one I really like is... Um, at the, at the, the way end of the book, there's a story of a fellow named Ralph Cox, who was the last guy cut from the 1980 U.S. Olympic hockey team. So as you may know, that was this great moment in sports history where they went on to the Miracle on Ice. They won. It was, you know, people say it was the greatest moment in, in sports where the United States beat the Soviets. Well, this guy was with that team for the first six months, and then he was cut um, about a month and a half out before the Olympics. And so in a lot of ways, he was deprived this opportunity to be part of this, and he was basically relegated to obscurity. So here's a guy who's now, it's coming up on 40 years later, and he looks at it as this great uh, moment for him because he was he was part of it. It forced him to go through a very dark period in his life, and he looks at it as a very positive thing for him because he was able to work through this 
this moment in his life and and um, actually look at it as a positive, and which is in my mind very inspiring. You know, he didn't have any, he didn't have a great follow up success. He didn't go on to play in the National Hockey League or anything like that. But he just was able to frame this event in his life in a very positive way, which I think is a very powerful thing. Wonder how that applies to somebody like the the quarterback who was pulled and Tom Brady went in, who hasn't yet to get off the field except for that year where he was injured. Yeah, but that's right. You, you've got to be thinking, man, I just yeah. blew it here somehow. You know, Completely. Couple... So that was a, yeah, you're right. It was a Drew Bledsoe who you know had a fine career. In he, the NFL. he didn't yep. do badly for himself either. That's right. He didn't do badly for himself, but that's a great thing. Which is like, here's a guy who could be really bitter about this situation where he had his job taken from him and he didn't become the star that Tom Brady became but I you know I, you know without being inside Drew Bledsoe's head I would say he should choose to be grateful that he was in the National Football League and then he was able to play. Sam Wyman's the author of Win at Losing How Our Biggest Setbacks Can Lead to Our Greatest Gains. Sam thanks for joining us. Great to have you. My pleasure. Thank you. <laughs> You must be your fairy godmother. Yes. It doesn't take a fairy godmother to tell you that the right fit means everything. Good heavens, child. You can't go in that. Children under four foot nine need to be in a booster seat because they aren't ready for adult safety belts alone. Many parents miss the important step of booster seats. Maybe you better explain things to him. Booster seats raise your child up so that a safety belt designed for adults will fit and protect them properly. Oh. That does make a difference. Remember that four foot nine is the magic number. And get your little pumpkin there safely <laughs> in a booster seat. Hop in, my dear. Oh, thank you. And like Cinderella, you can live happily ever after. It's like a dream. A wonderful dream come true. For more information, visit boosterseat.gov. This has been a message from the U.S. Department of Transportation and the Ad Council. Welcome back to Positive Parenting. I'm Armin Brott, and it's time for an Ask Mr. Dad segment, and we've got one for you on education. Dear Mr. Dad, my daughter is in second grade at a wonderful school, and we get a lot of email asking for parent volunteers to help out in the classroom or to do cleanups, fundraising, and other stuff to help the school. Almost all of that email is directed at mothers and makes a special point of explaining how important it is for mothers to take an active role in their kids' education. As a really involved, hands-on kind of dad, this really bugs me. I want to complain to the school, but I'd like to bring in some evidence that shows that it's important for dads to be involved, too. Can you help? Well, there is no shortage of studies that prove that parents, meaning mom and dad, make a difference. In fact, the more parents are involved, the better the kids do. Unfortunately, far too many schools use the word parents as a synonym for moms. Ignoring dads in this way, even if it's unintentional, does more damage than simply shortchanging our children. You need proof? Well, when dads get involved, they're sending a clear message that they care about their kids and value education. Their children, in turn, first of all, have better problem-solving skills, are more persistent and confident, and are more interested in exploring the world around them. They do better on standardized tests. They've got better math and verbal scores and score higher on IQ and other intelligence tests. They perform better in school and have a lot more fun while they're there. About half of kids with involved dads get mostly A's compared to only about a third when dads are not involved. In fact, dad's level of involvement is a better predictor than mom's that a child will get top grades. 
kids with involved dads are less than half as likely to have ever repeated a grade. That's 7% versus 15% for children of less involved dads. That was according to a survey sponsored by the National Center for Education Statistics, or NCES. Kids are nearly half as likely to have ever been suspended. That's 10% versus 18% for those less in, kids of less involved dads. Kids are more likely to be involved in extracurricular activities. On average, children who have interests outside of school have fewer behavior problems and are less likely to get involved with drugs or alcohol or become teen parents than those with no outside activities. Pretty impressive, wouldn't you say? Better still, these wonderful benefits from father involvement happen whether the dad is married, single, or a stepfather, an adoptive father, or lives with his children or not, according to the University of Illinois researcher Brent McBride. And that is just the beginning. When dads are involved in their children's schools, the dads themselves tend to be more involved at home. Being involved in their children's schools helps dads understand that they're just as important in their children's lives as moms are. Last but not least, schools benefit from father's involvement too. Involved parents tend to have a higher opinion of teachers and give them more support. Not surprisingly, teacher morale is higher and the schools have better reputations in the community. So next time you get an email asking for moms to volunteer, send back a link to this column. And then call up a few other dads and make sure you are first in line. We'll be back next week with another segment for you and a whole other show, in fact. Until then, I'm Armin Broad. Thanks for listening to Positive Parenting. You can get more information on today's show and what we're working on in the weeks ahead at MrDad.com. While you're there, visit the MrDad.com gift shop with everything you need to help you become the dad or mom you want to be. Positive Parenting is a production of the MrDad.com radio network. Now, go be a great parent.